Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning, and today we have a special treat. At the invitation of Father Scott, we have Deacon Georgette Forney with us. She is the president of Anglicans for Life, which is based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So she's going to come and preach for us this morning. So please give her a warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Father Jeb. It is a delight to be with you all. Thank you for the privilege of coming before you. Um, I, this is a great honor for me. Um, I love this church. I love your bishop. And um, he has been very instrumental in my life as well as yours. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Um, as we begin our time in the word, let's start with a prayer, please. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come and take over our minds and our hearts. As we take this time today to honor the sanctity of life, we want to start by thanking you for the gift of life. May our lives glorify you and serve your kingdom. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight and be honoring to your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. Um, so I'm supposed to go to 1130, they said. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I did go a few minutes over earlier, so I'll, I'll try to talk a little faster now. Um, I'm sure some of you, most of you are aware that um, the church has something that is called canons. Y'all are familiar with canons? Well, when the Anglican Church in North America was starting, one of the things that we... Mm, encouraged them to do was to have a canon that stated that this church upheld the sanctity of life. And they did indeed put one of the, uh, put something together for that. So um, canons are designed to be our written rules. They're what guide our church. Um, and they help us to understand what we value as a church body, what we believe, and what we proclaim. <clears throat> And in Title II of Canon 8 and Section 3, this is what it says. God, not man, is the creator of human life. The unjustified taking of life is sinful. Therefore, from conception to natural death, all members and clergy are called to protect and respect the sanctity of every human life. Now, every canon must reflect and affirm scripture. It can't be contrary to what scripture says. So this particular canon reflects the teaching and the truth that's found in the opening pages of scripture, beginning in Genesis 1. You know, Genesis 1 describes God as the creator and his beautiful creation process. First, in general terms, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Then we get into detail, starting with light and darkness, which define day. Next, God created the waters and the sky and the land. Then God called forth vegetation of various kinds. Then the sun and the moon. And on the fifth day, God created living creatures in the water and birds flying. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply. 
Next comes the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals. Now, after God created the elements of our environment, in verse 26, he gets down to business. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, which leads to verse 27, which is so significant to the creation story. Scripture declares in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, I believe you all know that the word created is used three times in that one verse. And anytime you hear something in scripture three times real close together, you're supposed to pay extra attention. Well, if you take those two verses, 26 and 27, not only is created used three times, but so is image. So both of these concepts are pretty important. The next, in the next verse, in verse 28, God then tells them that as his image bearers, their purpose is to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the other earthly creatures. God charges those who's made, he, who have been made in his image to become the stewards of his creation, to care for it, not exploit it, and not destroy it. Now, this first chapter of Genesis makes it clear that God is the creator of the world and everything in it. That alone is profound and worthy of our praise. But what I want us to take to heart is the reality that you and I bear the image of God. The NIV, I know we're, we're all using the English Revised Standard now, but I'm one of those old school girls and I still like my NIV. And, and the note on, on, on this particular verse is one of my favorite descriptions. It says, quote, man is the climax of God's creative activity and God has crowned him with glory and honor and made him ruler over the rest of creation, end quote. The creation of humankind is, in essence, the pinnacle of all of God's creation. We, you and I, are the pinnacle of what God created in the image of the divine and sovereign Lord. And not only are we created in his image, a few verses later in chapter 2, verse 7, we read that God, it says, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. God's very breath is imparted life to us, and we carry his image. These two attributes are what declare and define every human being as sacred and unique from everything else that God made. Being made in God's image also gives us intellect and a body-soul-spirit capacity to love, nurture, protect, and procreate. In creating us, God, in essence, gives us his heartbeat, his breath, his love, and his presence. Do we see this in ourselves when we look in the mirror? Do we see God's image in our brothers and sisters? 
Sadly, in the next chapter, uh, chapter 3 of Genesis, good and evil are clearly defined, and the reality of sin is acknowledged. Shame begins to infect our relationship with God, and sin takes root. To such an extent, and so quickly, that by verse 8 in chapter 4, the first murder takes place. Cain, jealous of his brother Abel, kills him in a field. How ironic is it that the first recorded person-to-person interaction in Scripture is Adam and Eve conceiving a child, and the very next act described is one person killing another person, a person made in God's image. It highlights Satan's desire to destroy life created in God's image. God's response to Cain, Cain's actions, Cain's murdering of his brother, is to declare that Abel's blood cries out from the ground. God curses Cain and lets him live with the consequences of his murderous action the rest of his life. Now, I share this brief story with you for two reasons. First, we each need to appreciate and acknowledge who we are, people made in the image of God. We are sacred beings carrying the very breath of God in our lungs. His his image is imprinted on every human being ever created. I love how King David says it in Psalm 139, starting at the 13th verse. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Throughout scripture, we are reminded that every man, woman, and child is made by God and carries his image, and that every life has purpose and is valued by God. We celebrate this truth by honoring life, yours mine, and others. Recognizing that every life is sacred impacts how we treat one another, or it should. The second reason why I tell you this creation story is to remind us how much God hates murder. And I believe he is especially heartbroken when we murder and disrespect those most vulnerable amongst us. Namely, I believe the unborn children in the womb, the elderly, the terminally ill, the handicapped. If every human being carries God's image, then every human life deserves protection, respect, and honor. Size, location, state of health, age shouldn't matter. Either all life should be protected and is seen as sacred, or no life is then. And if no life is sacred, then shouldn't it be okay for us to kill one another? But that's not the case, is it? If I kill somebody here, or if somebody kills me, 
there's punishment, there's jail, there's prosecution. However, there are some exceptions in the United States. We have federal and state laws that say it is acceptable to kill the unborn up through birth via abortion. In the United States since 1973, when abortion was legalized all nine months of pregnancy, we have killed over 61 million babies. Currently, we are aborting just under a million a year. And 10 states now say it's okay to assist someone in killing themselves via assisted suicide or euthanasia. Worldwide, we have prematurely killed over 86,000 people via assisted suicide and euthanasia. And in the United States, we estimate that about 10,000 people have died. And these numbers are increasing rapidly as people fear becoming a burden in old age. And given the current abortion rates, we estimate that one in four women will have an abortion in the U.S. So I think it's fair to assume that some of us here today have had an abortion. Please know, I am not here to condemn you. I am here to say, me too. I was a scared 16-year-old who didn't really understand what was going on. But when I told my friend I was pregnant, she told me I could get an abortion and it would make my problem go away. And that's how I looked at it at the time. Now, I don't have the time to go through my full testimony right now. But here's the most important point that I want you to hear. Once I finally faced what I did, you see, I could say I had an abortion, but I never allowed myself to think about what I aborted. And when I came face to face with the reality that I aborted a child, my child, a child that God had given me as a gift, made in his image, that broke down my walls of denial. And it's really when my healing began. It was 19 years after the actual procedure that I finally faced this truth. I attended an abortion aftercare healing program, and it helped me to face these facts. But it also helped me to acknowledge my guilt. It helped me to grieve my child and honor that precious life that I had rejected as a 16-year-old. I received God's forgiveness and I made peace with myself. Now, we all know someone who's had an abortion. And because of that, we all know that oftentimes in conversations, an opportunity might come up where a discussion could include, hey, did you know there are aftercare programs available for somebody hurting? I want you all to, as you're leaving, I want you to stop by the Anglicans for Life table because Susie Spear and um, the pregnancy center that she works for, they run these types of aftercare healing programs. And I want everyone to pick up one of her cards that has information so that you can pass that along to someone who could use the healing program.
It is truly life-changing. And I should note that it's not just women who struggle after abortion. The fathers do as well, as well as siblings and grandparents and even clinic workers struggled just like Cain did with the consequences of abortion. If looked at from the perspective of a missionary, based on the number of people involved, there exists a people group of over 100 million that have been impacted by abortion and euthanasia. Herein lies a tremendous pastoral and missional opportunity for the church. And it reinforces the importance of the second half of the canon I quoted earlier. Remember, the section three acknowledges God is the creator and taking life is sinful. Then section four goes on to recognize people like me who have participating in ending the life of, a, of, a, of another person. It says, quote, the church is called upon to show Christ-like compassion to those who have fallen into sin encouraging them to repent and receive forgiveness and offering the ministry of healing to all who suffer physically or emotionally as the result of such a sin, end quote. I am so grateful that the ACNA encourages this type of outreach and ministry to those who have bought the lie that abortion was the answer to an unwanted pregnancy. Acknowledging how abortion hurts those who have experienced it is a critical step, step in, in preventing it. We must also stop ignoring this attack on human life made in God's image because it perpetuates the dehumanization of life, especially for our unborn brothers and sisters. Folks, we are at a point where the abortion industry is successfully preventing laws that we are trying to pass that call for medical care to be given to an infant that is born during an abortion procedure. This is not, this is a baby that's born alive. This is a, a human being that deserves medical treatment. And instead, these babies are being left to die. We know in 2017, in five states alone in this country, over 25 babies die, or were born alive and then left to die. And we have over 270 adults who know that they have survived the abortion procedure. And how many of you remember back in 2015 when the Center for Medical Progress released videos that featured Planned Parenthood doctors talking over lunch very casually about harvesting baby body parts and then selling them for research? This is the reality of what is happening because we have dehumanized life. Abortion has become one of Satan's most effective tools to destroy and undermine the value of life. Abortion and euthanasia epitomize the epic battle between good and evil, life and death. Now, I appreciate that these topics are typically just discussed from a political perspective, but at Anglicans for Life, we focus on the pastoral and the biblical side of things. 
I recently came across this comment by Stephen Matson, who posted it on the Evangelical for Social Action website. It puts, the, um, puts in perspective the Christian's call to serve God for life. He said, quote, Christianity is neither Republican or Democrat. It's better than both. Christians are called to prioritize God over everything. Elected officials, party politics, laws, even our own self-interest. Doing this is often irrational and nearly always countercultural. But this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. End quote. Standing for life and acknowledging that we are bearers of God's image is indeed countercultural, and it will not win you any popularity contests, let me tell you. But as redeemed sinners, our lives are no longer our own. Our lives are now dedicated to our Redeemer and Savior. Living for Jesus, his kingdom, his glory, his purposes is what we are called to be about. Serving God often means serving the least, the unborn, the vulnerable, the terminally ill, the aged, those considered inconvenient and expendable. We are here today because we love God and we desire to worship him and serve him. But our worship and love doesn't stop when we leave the doors of this church. As you live your life, you must recognize that God wants to work through you to make a difference in the lives of people he's going to put in your path this week, this month, this year. My prayer is that each of you will be inspired by the Holy Spirit to embrace the ministry that God wants to do through each of you for life. I recently read an article about Rosa Parks. She's the woman who's credited with um, starting the civil rights movement in the 1950s. Her niece was talking about her in the article and said this, quote, people might still try to belittle my Aunt Rosa by saying, oh, she was just a seamstress. But that little seamstress is proof you can be anything and still make changes in your community. My aunt felt passionate about civil rights. It was a passion she felt in her soul, and we all have to tap into that. Whether it's working with children or the elderly, or working on voting rights or human rights, working at a homeless shelter, or getting trained to volunteer on a suicide hotline, we can all do a little thing, and the ripple effect of it can go a very long way. End quote. How might God be calling you to make a difference for life? And what could be the ripple effect? I believe God wants us to be like Rosa Parks, changing our culture from one that promotes death to one that honors and protects life. Because God hates murder of people and life made in his image, and he even gave us a commandment that says don't do it, and the canons of our church affirm the sanctity of life. The call to life ministry is critical. At Anglicans for Life, we exist to help you as the church to do this ministry that God is calling you to do. 
But it's critical that we do this work with love and compassion, not judgment or self-righteousness. In addition to addressing abortion and euthanasia, Anglicans for Life also seeks to advocate, educate, and encourage adoption, as well as abstinence to prevent pregnancy. We encourage churches to develop life-affirming ministry, like chapters, the model, a chapter model, which is what you all have here at All Saints. You have an Anglicans for Life chapter headed up by Ed Spear. So, the church... We are God's instruments. He needs us to feed his sheep, love the unlovable with the love he has given each of us. Not to earn our salvation, but as an expression of gratitude for it. AFL has a vision of everyone in every church doing one thing every day to protect human beings made in his image. Just imagine if each one of us did like Rosa Parks did, one thing, and that had a ripple effect and went a long way in impacting the sanctity of life. Recognizing that our goal is to make both abortion and euthanasia unthinkable and unnecessary means that God's people have to be ready to step up and step in. If we want to end abortion, we have to be ready to help that million women that are right now having abortions. We need to be prepared to care for our elderly brothers and sisters so they can die naturally at the end of their life and not before it. Let's put the abortion industry and proponents of the... Um, pro-death proponents out of business as we, the church, begins to influence the culture instead of letting the culture influence the church. The creation story affirms that God's plan for the world includes our participation in fulfilling the purposes he created us to accomplish, to care for his created world and to be in relationship with him. So let us go forth today, seeing the image of God in one another and working diligently to protect and respect the sanctity of every human life because we are all made in his image. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, make us instruments of your love. Give us courage to be countercultural and speak out against the atrocities of abortion and euthanasia, to speak up in support of adoption, to affirm to our young people their identity in Jesus. Help your church be your instruments of peace in this world and help us to protect one another, especially our most vulnerable brothers and sisters, the elderly and the unborn. We love you, Lord, and we seek to honor you and glorify you in all we do. So help us, guide us, inspire us to serve you. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.